Howdy folks, this is the shit that physios need to know and I'll be your host for this podcast. My name's Nick Marshall and with me is Dr. Josh Carter. So let's get into it. Howdy folks and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we're going to uh, let Josh run the show. I'll be guiding him <laughs> with a couple of questions, but um, I found from listening back I tend to sort of run the show, so today Josh is going to run the show. I got that feedback too, actually. Yeah, yeah. comes back a lot, actually. A bit Nick dominant, but that's fine. Uh, so we are going to talk about uh, criteria-based rehab today, um, and I should just sort of start the podcast by the reason why we started these podcasts initially was so that we'd have information for staff that, that either work with us or, or uh, in practices that we know and we could, we could share this information. And this was one of these areas that I was really, really interested in hearing about uh, through Josh and uh, being able to spread this to the other clinicians so that they could hopefully change the way that they approach physiotherapy. So um, I'm going to lead off, really simple question for Josh, what is criteria-based rehab? <laughs> no, thanks for the question, Nick. Uh, no, it's very self-explanatory, honestly. There's nothing fancy about it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll answer your question with the world's most simple answer is that it's literally applying criteria to progressing in rehab. So um, I think when we, we graduate and when we're at uni, we're very good at understanding timeframes and there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm certainly not saying that, you know, n- you know, you want to give your patients a time frame of how long their injury is going to take. But I think uh, if we can shift our focus away from saying, oh yeah, your ankle sprain, we can do this in two weeks and we can do this in four weeks and we move towards a, a bit more objective testing to make those decisions. I think as a new grad, we struggle with that a little bit because we do focus our attention heavily on the tissue healing model, which says, you know, zero to three days is the inflammatory period. And then we've got two weeks of proliferation and blah, 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 and up to a year of remodeling but uh, again that's really important but if we just rely on that i think we can uh, we can miss out on a lot of a lot of sort of benefits in in clinic for clinically and also for for maybe you as a practice owner or for in terms of uh, of how much you're billing or able to bill yeah absolutely i think it's it's almost like we will spend an enormous amount of time in certain areas and I always use goal setting, for example. You know, your patient comes in, you'll ask them what the goal is of the treatment, what do they want to get back to, what's, you know, where do they want to see themselves. Um, and as a clinician and as a patient, we, we make sort of stepping stones to get to that goal. We don't simply say, you know, I want to get back to playing footy. Um, okay, good, that's going to be this amount of time. We, 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 you know, we, in goal setting, at the very least, we'll have those sort of stepping stones. And essentially, that's kind of what criteria-based rehab really is. I mean, I guess we're, we're, we're waiting to meet a piece of criteria, um, we'll talk a little bit about those, but before we can progress to that next option. And, and, um, and I guess that's, that is sort of leads into that, that next question, but one of my biggest bugbears with new grads and, and, and certain staff is that we've, we spend so much time looking at the science and looking at the research to do a number of things that we do with the application of our treatments. And then we get to the end of the treatment and we basically finish with, oh, see you next week. See you next week. And, uh, and I think we do ourselves an enormous disservice in that sense because we, we essentially, the patient sort of, I guess, can pick up quite easily on, 
we've not really had a, a major plan on this. You know, where are we going? What, what do, is it a week? Am it two weeks? And, and sometimes, worse still, a patient gets out to the admin team and the admin team have to yell out to you and say, when are you on so-and-so back? And mm. I think you've really failed in that process in that regard. You know, you haven't really defined those sort of parameters, given a goal setting and, and come up with a plan to get them back together. And so um, I think that's one of the real shortcomings of physio. We fall into that trap. You know, from talking to students and new grads, everything takes four to six weeks. If you ask somebody about a low back pain, oh, it's four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll see them once a week, four to six weeks. But I think this system is very much a system that puts the onus back on the patient, but also breaks down that large, chunky goal into bite-sized pieces. So I guess that, uh, you know, I guess that leads into that sort of next question is, you know, are we timeframe-based, criteria-based, and um, why do new grads kind of struggle a little bit with that? Yeah, and it's a good question. And sort of reflecting back, I think criteria-based rehab is heavily reliant on your clinical reasoning skills which might be at a sound level when you graduate but I think certainly in those first you know zero to five years the amount of growth you have in your clinical reasoning is is massive and so for you to set you know I guess smart smart goals or or smart sort of based criteria rehab um, you need to be able to reverse engineer a patient's issue and and a patient's take into consideration the patient's goals because at the end of the day like you're touching on all patients want a plan they they want to know that they're being looked after and managed that's the value of our services they can go and see someone for half an hour an hour and and get a rub and some needles and we always harp on about it but our value is in being able to be the problem solver and look at someone's training week, training diary, upcoming events, marry that up with their expectations, throw our expectations in there a little bit, and then come up in that soup with some sort of, of recipe, I suppose. And, and a recipe not in so much as a treatment, but as a plan. Um, look, I think, I think new grads do struggle with it because of that clinical reasoning element, but the earlier you can get onto it and start practicing it, I think the better you get at it. And, you know, we're going to talk about a bit of an example later. It's certainly not rocket science, but I think the trick is doing it in session can be a little bit tough or when you've only got maybe that half an hour follow-up to sort of think about this plan. And again, it brings into question, you know, if if we've got a 30-minute appointment, how much hands-on stuff we're doing, how much exercise stuff we're doing, how much planning and treatment management are we doing? But we'll talk about that later because it's sort of the answer for that for me now is very obvious. Whereas earlier on, I'd probably try and cram all of that into one session once a week. So, But I guess assisting clinically in terms of the rehab is that it can give you as the physio a bit more confidence to progress the treatment or regress the treatment. So if you're setting some really objective goals or really objective markers, instead of saying, oh, you know what, two weeks time, we'll, we'll start you doing some hopping after your lateral ankle sprain, uh, which you know might be a bit early anyway, but anyway, go with it. Two weeks after your ankle sprain, we're gonna start some hopping. So, you know, I'll see you next week and, and then we'll see how you're going. And then after that, we'll start that. Well, maybe you've had a subtle little misdiagnosis. Maybe your suspected grade two ATFL is actually just a grade one is really pretty basic. This that second week you see them, they're not painful. They're you know no swelling, full weight bearing. They're like you know I actually did a bit of a jog. 
therein I think lays the problem um, with part of the physio profession is because in that seven days the patient has self-progressed they've gone or deviated a little bit perhaps from your management strategy so not that you've lost control of that patient it's probably the wrong way of saying it but the plan didn't match up with one their expectations the patient's expectations haven't matched up with your plan so i think your treatment outcome is not going to be as good um, i guess the patient if you're using some criteria based rehab has more of an opportunity to buy into that process if we're using the same thing you know oh, two weeks time we should be able to do this or in a month we can start some running if i said to the patient you know well you can show me xyz that could be next week i think realistically it might be three or four weeks away the patient is going to be more motivated to do whatever homework you're going to give them um, which as we know you know <laughs> compliance to non-supervised exercise prescription is pretty poor but i think Anything we can we use to help get our patients on side is only a good thing. Um, the other probably really interesting thing is that, <clears throat> and I think we talked about it in that sort of zero to, to three year talk when we were talking about why physios drop out, but in that stage, uh, we were talking about some of your patients are getting better and you might see them four or five times and feel as though it's been a really successful treatment. Or you might see someone once or twice and then they sort of just get lost to follow up. They were getting better. They probably weren't where you wanted them. They probably weren't where uh, they wanted to be in terms of pain or function. But, you know, they just don't come back uh, for whatever reason. And I think this, this criteria-based rehab can really help to mitigate that a little bit. Again, it's that the patient knows that next week we've got to do these testing things before the physio is happy for me to do X, Y, Z. So I'm going to have to go in and get tested. Now, the patient can still choose not to, of course, but coming back to that buy-in, you know, and again, probably people accuse, accuse us of, of maybe instilling fear or, or uh, instilling that reliance sort of model um, on us as the physio, you know, oh, you have to come in and get us tested. Go work in any elite sport anywhere and say to 100%. a coach, a high-performance manager, an athlete plan for... God forbid the Broncos go say, oh yeah, yeah, it's been four weeks after your ankle sprain, you're right, and see what happens. Yeah, see absolutely. what happens. So, you know, I think clinically there's a lot of benefits in terms of using that criteria-based model over a time frame model. Yeah, and I think you touched on it at the start, and uh, and that's that reverse engineering the plan. And I think when you start to talk to new grads or students or you know even people who probably don't implement this, and you start to say, well, look, why don't we go back, we work backwards, you know, like we would in any kind of sports setting, we work backwards from the ultimate goal. Ultimate goal might be return to footy or return to full-time work. And if we use the work example, then to get to that full-time work, we have to then have a build-up period. And, you know, we might talk in future weeks about that, you know, acute on chronic loading. But if we were to use a, a sort of a model or, you know, a system like that, and reverse engineered it back from full-time work and return to work using a loading model, we don't simply get to our four weeks and jump back straight into full-time work if we haven't worked for the last four weeks. And so it does, I think, better frame to the patient that it's not maybe as simple as just uh, let's wait and see for four and six weeks and I'll 
four to six weeks, I'll see you once a week. There's an actual plan to what's going in, in place. And I think when you when you go backwards that way, you're showing sort of like milestones or you know definitive sort of landmarks that allow you to progress to that next stage. And you know, you're not asking the patient necessarily to, well, you won't, maybe not, maybe you are, to pay for things up front. But if I use like the really simple, silly analogy, is that we will do that for those that are married, you will do, you will get a wedding planner to do that exact same thing for you, for your wedding. You know, you will get them to, to know what date the wedding's on and they will work backwards, you know, in terms of getting dresses and ordering, you know, the, the hair for the reception and all those sorts of things. And you'll pay an exorbitant amount of money sometimes for these people who basically are just problem solving and setting a plan for your life for the next however many weeks, months. Um, but in terms of rehab for injury, sadly, a lot of us get trapped into that area that we don't do that on the first day. So the patient leaves thinking, yeah, you know, it was a good treatment, but I don't, he didn't really give me, or he, she didn't really give me any answers as to when I'd be back at work. And it can be really difficult, as we know, you know, you can be in elite sports scene every day for a couple of hours and get back a lot quicker. But if you reverse it coming back from where you want to be, that reverse engineering of that rehab process, you're not saying this will take you three weeks, this will take you four weeks. You're saying when we get to this point, we'll start to do this next point. So the quicker we can get to there, exactly like you're saying, the quicker we can get to there, then we can start to you know, implement you doing four hours a day at work, which will then marry up to six hours a day at work and then back to full-time work. So I think it gives the patient an enormous amount of power, uh, buy-in, and allows them to be, you know, as we talk so much about with that evidence-based practice, like an active partner in that rehab process. They're not simply getting to the end of the treatment and, and almost being completely passive and relying on you to tell them when they need to come back in. They know how important it is. You know, they know if my goal next week is to be able to do a single leg hop, I'm not gonna go and do some crazy cable skiing or something on the Tuesday because that's gonna affect my ability to get into that next sort of, I guess, pathway. So what, how would you think, buddy, as a, as a business owner, how can this have like a monetary effect? Like how can, we've spoken a little bit, you know, about clinically the effect there, but monetarily wise, you know, what could be an advantage, disadvantage? What, what do you yeah. see? Uh, look, I think it can only benefit um, in a practitioner in terms of their patient visit average and the industry average is 4.4 visits. So that's, you know, for an initial visit, they're having another 3.3 or 3.4 visits. Um, after that so to, to bump that up which is a metric that I suppose lots of practice owners are interested in um, look uh, the need for reassessment is probably as we were sort of touching on before is probably the really important thing and I alluded to it in saying well you got 30 minutes what do you do do you do 10 minutes of massage and needling and whatever 10 minutes of exercise prescription and 10 minutes of sitting there chatting to the patient about education and planning yeah we, we could do all that I would argue, and I'm guilty of it because I don't do it that well all the time, but I would argue that we need to have a exercise-based session where we watch them do what we're giving them to take home. And the whole session should be, if you're giving them three sets, 10 reps of a TheraBand external rotation, we need to make sure that they can do that. If we're giving them some form of Olympic lift um, in a gym setting, we need to know we, that they can go and do that to the prescribed amount. So trying to fit that into a 30 minute appointment where you're trying to do some other stuff hands on and planning, it just doesn't happen. So my, I guess my kind of takeaway from the monetary value is that we can, 
maybe do some hands-on and a bit of planning, which is hugely important, you know, from our assessment and diagnosis and we get a prognosis and go, look, you know, yeah, sure, I'm going to say this might take eight to 12 weeks, but your goal for this week is to show me that you can do X, Y, Z before I give you anything harder uh, or anything more like running or running on whatever. So I need to see them on a Monday to set that plan up to do that. I want to see them later in the week to start uh, assessing, supervising, retesting those measures. And then I'll see them again the next week. And it might be a mix where one session is more hands-on manual therapy based and one is more exercise assessment based or reassessment based from setting those goals. And the beauty is if you watch your patients do the exercises and you know, you've prescribed three sets of 10 of something and they get to the second set and their cactus, boom, the criteria straight away, you know, I, well, I want you to be able to do 30 reps of those because I've reverse engineered it from your sport. I know that you're a whatever overhead thrower of some sort. You're going to throw on average a game or a, um, a half or whatever 30 odd times. So I need you to be able to demonstrate that uh, reverse engineered skill for me in here. And then I need to be able to reassess that to see that you can successfully do it next week. So I think instantly, you know, you could literally say you possibly could double your patient visit average because you're seeing them once for the hands-on stuff, once for the exercise stuff. So I think uh, from from your point of view as the, as the guy that, uh, that that might be looking at those stats or, or other people's bosses or, or um, practice owners is that it's probably something that's quite impressive as a new grad if you can change your mindset to think like that. And again come back to that elite sport example like you have always said you know and i'll let you say it but take away the money make it make it it's not your choice it's it's you're putting the onus on the patient so you've got a great analogy for that you always talk about yeah well i think and i was going to sort of build into that was that if you do take money out of it can take money off the completely off the table and you set an appropriate plan that gets the person back as quick as they can to their goal you know you you will be in that elite sports setting where you see them every day. Um, and unfortunately, and I 100% agree that that financially is not possible for most people. But I think what we unfortunately do as physios is instead of just giving what the ideal perfect plan is to the patient, we water down the profession and take their financial situation into consideration when we set the plan. You know, you don't go to a mechanic and say, I, I need you to fix this car. and and him say, no, I won't tell him that I can do this properly for this amount. I'll, I'll just, I'll do a bit of a shoddy job and do it for a cheaper amount. They'll always tell you, look, to do it properly, it costs this. You know, whether you have that or not, it's up to you. You make that decision. Yes, I, if you don't have that, we can work out how we can do it cheaper. But in terms of the body and physio, that blows the time out. You know, we got, you've got to pay somehow. So you're going to either pay financially or you're going to pay with time. And so for some people, time is way more important than, than finances. And so absolutely, we tend to set this program taking their financial situation into consideration. And unfortunately, that affects the ultimate outcome, that affects as, a, as an entire profession, people walk away going, oh, it took me eight weeks with physio. Well, yeah, it did, because you went in once a week, you know, and then you've Googled that injury and seen some famous football player somewhere has got better in four weeks, and you're like, oh, my physio's not very good. And it's like, well, no, that other physio is probably the same, but 
they've taken your finances into consideration and thought, well, you know, I only want to see them six, eight, whatever times, and I'm going to spread that over eight weeks. And so I often say to people, that's the problem that we have, is that you need to present the ideal program to that patient. Let them make the decision as to what they can afford and not afford. Put in those ones that you think, well, these are musts. You know, yeah, well, I might not be able to do the, the hands-on and the supervision, but that whichever one you choose is going to have a, an effect moving forward long-term. We tend to, unfortunately, as therapists, and, and we're one of the few professions that do it. And we're, I mean, it's a podcast for another day about how much we give away our service, but we don't even tell them we're giving away our service. We just present them a watered-down version because we're worried that they think it, it'll cost too much. Or that so, we're over-servicing. Or that we're over-servicing. You know, and I say to people too that, you know, if we touch on a little bit of what you said about the, you know, the 4.4 average, um, is that, if you, if you really have a look at that 4.4 average and think about even a simple injury, you've, you've got your initial assessment, so there's one. I truly believe you have to have a treatment session after you've returned to your goals. So it's not good enough for me to say, today's our last assessment, um, tomorrow you're gonna return to full contact footy and games because you're kind of kicking them out without knowing what the actual outcome is. You know, you need to see them once at the very least after they've returned to that goal so that you can be able to say, okay, we're here, or we didn't quite get there, but we survived, or we, we might need to retweak this, and this is the thing that you're gonna to continue to do so that you don't come back in. But we too easily don't do that, but we should be always having that one session after they've returned to their goal. There's two so, visits. There's two visits. And then so, you know, you, for some people who like to you know, hold it like a badge of honor that they keep to the national average, you've got two visits in between there to get them from where they are injured sitting in your cubicle to essentially back to full contact football or full, you know, full-time work. And, you know, when people come and see you with back pain, two visits to achieve that's ridiculous. You know, you're going to, at some point, you're going to throw them into the deep end. That loading curve is going to be an enormously, you know... Jump. Jump. And you're going to wonder why you're getting frustrated and the patient's frustrated with you. Whereas if you spelled it out and said, this is what the plan looks like. You know, if you want to get this fixed properly... Um, and do it the proper way that probably an elite sports athlete and, and physio would do. It looks like this. Yes, that might cost you twenty thousand dollars. You know, if you're coming in that amount of times, and I'm not necessarily saying that's what you should do, but I don't want to water down the profession and what I do based upon finances. If money wasn't an issue, this is what it looks like. You need to think about now what you can throw at this. Same as the car. They're always going to give you what it costs to do it properly. It's up to you to make and take that risk as to what you think is worthwhile fixing, what you think is worthwhile paying for, and take some ownership on that. Not necessarily go, oh, the physio didn't get me better. So, well, no, you didn't do the thing that he said. He said or she said that it looks like this. So you either follow it or you take the ownership to find out where you, know, where you want to cut some corners. Yeah. So I guess if we build on from that, because we've spoken a bit, it's easy to kind of talk about in theory. But let's put it into some practice, and I think in the coming weeks we will do a version of, of this sort of conversation based around a tissue biology model, based around a criteria um, rehab model. But let's talk about a simple rolled ankle. Rolled ankle, classic. There's plenty of those getting about in sports practices all over the Gold Coast and no doubt all over the world. Um, so look, and these are not, uh, it's not a specific case. So obviously, disclaimer, 
this is really generic, more about the idea of how I would think about applying these things. So let's say the ankle sprain, not too bad, we'll call it grade one, so it's not so bad. Bit of pain, bit of swelling, but really they're walking around, they can do a bit of sort of, you know, light hopping or something like that, but it's a bit sore. So an initial criteria for me, if they're in their day one, uh, let's say I, what am I gonna use to let, or when am I gonna decide to start some exercises up? Because I don't, and this is a whole other podcast and we've talked about it, but am I gonna start throwing eight exercises at them day one when they still are a bit sore and when they've got a little bit of swelling? So look, for me it's a no, and we can debate that in another podcast, but I think an initial criteria, for example, to progress to starting exercises, well, okay, let's say they can weight bear single leg, and we might set a pain cap to that, you know? So it's a bit subjective, you're involving the patient. So golden rule or golden number often in the research you see is a four out of 10. So no more than a four out of 10 with single leg weight bearing. Um, and you know, until they can do that, I'm not gonna give them calf raises, because if they can't stand on one leg, uh, with a pain below a four, why am I then gonna go ask them to start doing single leg calf raises or even double leg calf raises, which might increase the pain, increase the inflammation, increase the swelling too soon. Now, I could have said to them, oh yeah, that'll be next week. Next week we'll start up calf raises. But again, I'll come back to that. What happens if you've seen them Monday, you're not seeing them until the following Monday and they, by Thursday of that week or Friday or Saturday, they're sort of having a bit of a play, they're Googling, they see that calf raises is a really good exercise, they start them up. Could be good, could also be bad. So I think that's the beauty of it. Uh, what else? We could measure the swelling circumference. You know, we could compare left to right. We could, or affected to non-affected. We could um, give it, you know, in, in a way, in a bit of an arbitrary number, but it's up to you as a physio to decide this. We could say, oh, I want your swelling to be down to within 95% or your ankle circumference to be within 95% of the other side before I'm gonna let you start any calf raises, hopping, skipping, running, whatever it may be, that's your next sort of goal. Uh, and I want you to have your full ankle range of motion without pain. So some really, like three really simple criteria. And so I would want the patient to tick those things off before we start doing any exercises. And so, you know, I could see a Monday, maybe I should see them Thursday or Friday again because by that stage they're gonna be pretty close and I'm not leaving them an extra three or four days over the weekend to delay their rehab in a way because like we're saying, if we can tick those criteria off sooner than a week, even if a time frame based thing I said, let's see you in a week or I'll give you a week and then we'll start them up, we actually can accelerate the rehab in theory. We can get things started quicker if we objectify it. And so we'll progress that on a little bit maybe. Let's sort of say we've, we've passed that stage, they're going quite well, they can, like full range, weight bear, single leg, no pain, they've started some calf raises, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so let's say we wanna to get to that landing, hopping, change of direction, agility type sort of stage. You know, what sort of criteria for a grade one ankle sprain would I be looking at, you know? And I'd be expecting maybe week three-ish, you know, maybe week four, we're sort of starting this return to sport sort of stuff up. but. You know, same principle applies. Let's say I want them to, they're, they're a novice, uh, novice runner, just doing some 5K runs. They like to do it three or four times a week just to keep fit. Well, I'm gonna say I'd like you to be able to do at least sort of 75 to 100 single leg calf raises. 
that can be split up into three sets or whatever you want to choose as your prescription. But before I'm going to get you to Hopland Run, I would like you to be able to do a significant amount of single leg calf raises. I want you to be able to balance on one leg with your eyes open and your eyes closed to normative data for your age and for memory. I think for sort of up 18 to 30 year olds, it's something nine seconds with your eyes closed, which is a random number. Anyway, I yeah. like to exceed that a little bit. I usually will say, let's try and get to 30 seconds with your eyes closed. That's just me personally. And you know, minute with your eyes open. And so we're getting some level of confidence that there's a bit of proprioception happening there. No swelling, no pain, you know, pain again being subjective. Gait, you know, some gross functional outcomes, you know, can they walk without a limp? Can they step up and step down onto boxes without a limp? Can they, um, you know, step sideways over a mini wicket or a mini hurdle without pain? So we're using all of these little elements of what's gonna be in the next stage of a gross bigger movement, a hop or a land or a skip or a change direction reverse engineering it, like you said, and applying um, a criteria sheet to it. And that way the patient has an understanding, has a really good understanding of what they need to do before we can do something more advanced. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you, you touched on it at the end there. It's, it's very much explaining it to the patient from a reverse engineered perspective. So how can we work backwards? Okay, if, if I want to get back to five runs a week, um, on my rolled ankle, then at some point I'm going to have to, you know, do three runs a week. Then it's going to be one run a week. How quickly do I progress that? You know, if I've had, if to get to that point it's taken me two or three weeks, then there's that acute on chronic load thing that we need to be kind of aware of, which we'll touch on, uh, on a, at a later date. Um, but before I can run, I need to be able to hop, and then I want to be able to hop. You know, as we see in some of those ACL protocols, the three hops we want to be at 95 percent you know, of our unaffected legs. So th there's a number of criteria that we can use, but I guess, like you said, it's giving almost a, uh, it's like an asterisk point or an objective measure, um, but it's giving you an objective score to attain before you progress to that next level of treatment and putting the onus on the patient rather than the patient lying on the bed and saying, well, how long do you think I, it'll be until I get back to footy? You say, well, this is largely up to you. You know, when we can get back to standing single leg stands, how quickly we get there will dictate how quickly we then get to a single leg hop, which will then dictate, you know, our single three leg, uh, you know, hop for three strides. And when we get to there, we can then start to progress to run. So rather than basically just give an arbitrary figure because you plucked it out of Google or something, you're taking the onus off that, taking the pressure off you as a new grad thinking, God, how long does this take? You know, where, where, do I, where does this sit? Why is this person's tissue biology not the same as everybody else's? You're giving the patient criteria and saying, well, how long this takes is largely up to you. You know, we can, the quicker we can get to these particular milestones, the quicker we'll get to the next milestone. Obviously, like anything, that loading to get back here to, to full, whatever, you know, full sport is, the less time we spend injured, the quicker we can get to that sort of point. We don't have to have a long, slow build-up if it's a six to eight week injury, then we have got a, a bit of a progressive injury, a progressive loading back to, to full, um, full sport or full work. So. I really love it in the sense that it, it does take time. It does take tremendous explaining at the first appointment. But I think if you do it properly, you set it up really, really nicely with the patient and, and certainly in your mind as to where you're headed and what your milestones are before you progress, as opposed to the patient, you know, worst case scenario is asking you, should I go back to running now? So on that first appointment, 
you're taking the time, hopefully you've got a little bit more time to, to take the time to explain where we're gonna get to, you know, where the goal is and what the steps are in place to get to those goals. So it takes the emphasis away from, you know, when do I come back? How long is this gonna take? We just need to then put the onus back on the patient to say, when we get to this criteria or we meet this goal, we progress to the next goal. And how quickly we get there is largely dependent on you know, the controllables, how often you can come in, how many times you can limit them doing something silly or something that's gonna aggravate it or, or, or what have you. Um, so I think it's a really, really valuable tool. I think I certainly speak from my experience. It was something we never spoke about when I you know, studied in the sort of the early to mid nineties. Um, but I think it's very, very good from a private practice um, and also just from a clinical setting being able to set a plan. You know, we always talk when we, we grade students with their APP on that sort of short and long-term planning or goals. Um, and I think that short-term goals often session to session changes or in session, uh, what you want to achieve in session. But I think that long-term planning, which sometimes we don't do very well as students uh, and as new grads, is setting that plan, sticking that plan. But knowing the plan's completely dynamic. You know, you can say, we need to get to this point and you might like you said earlier it might take you a week but you might be able to have a sliding kind of scale where you're like but i'll tell you what if you can hop by wednesday then we're going to start your jogging by thursday you know so to speak so obviously in a perfect world where you know lists didn't get filled and booked up you know a day or a week in advance when that patient was able to achieve that goal at home as part of their exercises they'd be able to ring and say hey look i've achieved my single leg hopping can I come in today so that we can progress to that next plan? That would be ideal. And obviously mm -hmm. in elite sport, that's what happens. You see everybody every day, they're doing their, their gym work and as a team, you know, and the rehab team probably a little bit separate, so they're doing their stuff. And when they can, in real time, you see when they can do their particular goal and milestone and you progress them on. So unfortunately, but that's the problem with physio, it's almost like a completely different profession. What you apply in elite sport setting where money isn't an issue, and then what, unfortunately, you have to apply in private practice. And I think the emphasis shouldn't be on the therapist to worry about the finances. You need to give the best plan available. They, they're coming for your opinion. And you need to put the emphasis back on the patient to determine, okay, well, what, can I, what money can I throw at this? Where can I cut some corners knowing that it's going to cost me time or money? So if I can't throw money at this, that'll just blow that time out a little bit more. So... I guess I'll give you the, the final words to sum up. No, um, I think you summarised it pretty well, in all honesty. I think, um, you know, we were talking that new grads struggle a little bit more with clinical reasoning, so often default to that time frame based model and picking a, a certain number of weeks to rehab an injury. I think the quicker you can try and start to use some really basic objective measures to set when to progress or regress or or goal set is uh, is really going to help you both clinically and financially. Um, and look, you know, reverse engineering is probably another podcast that we'll go into a little bit more detail. So look forward to that one because it will flow nicely into what we've talked about today and, and sort of really open up, I guess, a few people's eyes about, you know, probably the chronic problem of underservicing in, in physiotherapy. Fantastic. All right. So if you enjoyed the podcast today, I we certainly enjoyed um, recording it for you. There are a number of other podcasts uh, that I really strongly encourage you to, uh, to listen to, particularly our most recent three-part series on why people or why physios give the profession away. Um, but look, if you do want to uh, leave us a comment on Instagram, 
uh, and follow us on Instagram. We'd love to hear about what you think would be a, an interesting topic to talk about. Obviously, we're trying to steer clear of, at the moment anyway, uh, research and, and, and getting a little bit boring and based and sort of bogged down on the latest research. There are other podcasts for that and they're tremendous podcasts. We're not trying to, to, um, to rehash that area. We're trying to give you, hopefully, small little tips that'll make your transition from student into new grad and new grad into expert clinician uh, just that little bit easier. So um, drop us a line on Instagram and uh, continue to listen to the podcast.